Well, we got some exciting things happening, some milestones that we're going to celebrate over the next uh, three weeks. Obviously, this morning, uh, we got to witness families declare that they're committed to raise up uh, their children in the Lord. And so as a church, we, we have a responsibility in that. Uh, we're called to love them, to guide them, to hold them accountable, to be a part of that. And so I hope that you take that seriously. Uh, this is a role that the church has to play. Uh, next weekend, uh, I don't know if this is a good thing for you, maybe so, but you'll get a break from me. Um, we have our Step Forward students uh, that are going to lead the entire service, and uh, you're going to want to make sure you're here for that. Um, they're going to reenact what they did at uh, the Big Overnighter at Oil Belts, and uh, you're going to want to be here, maybe stay for the second service as well. It's going to be awesome, and so I'm excited to to see what they're going to bring. And then the following weekend, uh, we're going to have a time where we honor our graduates. Uh, junior high, high school, college, I believe, as well. Um, there's just a lot going on, a lot to celebrate, a lot to be grateful for. And so that's where we're going to go over the next three weeks. And so because of that, I, I kind of thought, well, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to start a big, long sermon series now. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do a short two-week sermon series, but we're going to do that over the course of three weeks. So you're going to get the first half today. And then we're going to do the second half in two more weeks. And so I know you'll remember everything you heard today, so that won't be a, won't be a big deal. Uh, but we're starting this series that we're calling As For Me and My House. And so we're going to spend two weeks dissecting Joshua chapter 24. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn there, Joshua chapter 24. Uh, we're going to work through the first 15 verses this morning. And then we're going to work through uh, the final 18 in two weeks' time. Um, I, I told a couple people, I should never say this, uh, but I said this morning, because of everything going on, I'm going to try to keep it short. Um, those seem to be my longest sermon, so we'll see, we'll see how we do this morning. Uh, but it is my intentions to uh, keep this one fairly short and sweet this morning. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context as we work through Joshua chapter 24 uh, over the next couple weeks. The book of Joshua, it is all about God's graciousness in leading the people of Israel into the promised land. But it is a book that is filled with all kinds of action. So what you've got throughout the book of Joshua, which is, is pretty intense, you've got wars, you've got battles, you've got conquests, you've got victories, all as you see this storyline of redemption for Israel unfold. And so as we come to Joshua chapter 24, here's what you need to understand has taken place up to this point. In Joshua 12, uh, we see this listing of 31 kings. And, and the point of that listing is, these are all of the kings, all of the kingdoms that Israel has overcome, has defeated, and has taken their land. Right, so, you're, so you're seeing this, these moments, these snapshots of conquest as the Lord is giving them the land that he has promised them. And so to do that, he has to lead them to victory. And so 31 kings and their lands have been conquered. And so at this point, what you're seeing from that moment on is this divvying up of the land between the 12 tribes of Israel. And as you come to chapter 24, it's the last chapter of Joshua, you're going to see this moment where Joshua recognizes that, that we need to stand for something. That as he comes to the end of his life, he recognizes that Israel needs to make a vow. That as we look back on what has happened, Israel needs to understand where this victory has come from and what it means for us in the here and now. 
And so in, in Joshua chapter 23, one chapter before, as we're setting up this context, it, it opens up with us being told that finally, after all of these years of fighting, of conquering, Israel is allowed to rest. All of their enemies have been vanquished. There is no one knocking on their doors. Israel is finally able to relax for a moment. And in 23 verse 2, Joshua says this. Evidently, uh, the, the struggle of all of this happening has really got the best of them. At this point in time, Joshua is 110 years old. And he opens up in Joshua chapter 23, verse 2, by saying this, I am very old. There's this, there's this moment of, of sighing, like, gosh, like, I, I'm at the end. Like, I recognize there's been so much that the Lord has done for us, and, and I've come to the end of my life, and it's, it's finally hitting me. And so as you turn to chapter 24, what you're going to see is this. Joshua recognizes my time is short. Joshua recognizes that my time is, uh, of leading Israel is coming to an end. My life is at the end. So he says it's, it's time for us to, to kind of take inventory of everything that's gone on. It's kind, time for us to, to look back on all the Lord has done through this time and make a vow to him. And this is what you're going to see in Joshua chapter 24 over the next couple weeks. And so as we lead into that, here's how chapter 23 verse 14 says as we lead into verse 1 of chapter 24. He says, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God has given has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. So as Joshua gets ready to make the declaration that he's going to in chapter 24, he reminds them, listen, think about all the Lord has told us. Think about the land that he's promised to give us. Think about the victories that he's promised to give us. I want to remind you, all of those have come to pass. Everything that the Lord has said that we can trust him in, we could. We could trust him. Because everything that he said would happen has. So we get to chapter 24, and we see this final moments of Joshua's life. In verse 1, he says, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, he summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Oftentimes you'll hear of, of different places, and maybe on the surface they don't seem significant to you, but I want to let you know that Shechem is a very, very significant place. Shechem is the place in Israel where covenants are made. Shechem is the place where vows and covenants are renewed. And we see this come from Genesis chapter 12. This is where Israel has gone time and time again to renew their commitment to God. And this is where it starts. Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So what we're witnessing in Joshua chapter 24 is this full circle moment. That as Joshua assembles the elders and the officials of Israel, he's remembering that there was a moment when God has promised to Abram, I'm going to give you a people and a land, and this is the land I'm going to give you. And so Joshua brings them to this spot as a reminder the Lord keeps his promises. 
The Lord has done what he said he's going to do. So over and over again in Israel's history, it's a reminder. God does what he promises. This is what you and I need to understand as well. The promises of God will always come to pass. Always. He is faithful and he is trustworthy. So Joshua stands before all of Israel in the place where Abraham was promised. This is, this is one day going to be the land of your offspring, having seen it come to be. Joshua has assembled this group saying, the Lord told us this was going to be ours. Here we are. Look what he's done. And so Joshua's going to start this covenant renewal ceremony. Um, this is pretty common during the time. What, what often happens is, is they rehash everything that's happened in history. And so Joshua is going to give us just a little bit of overview of everything that God has done in the life of Israel up to this point. And, and he's setting up the scene for them to remember, hey, this is, this is the one worthy of our trust. So listen to how he starts. Joshua said to all the people, verse 2, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. Stop there for just a moment. The same man who God has promised, I'm going to give your descendants this land. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Joshua lays out at the beginning, Abraham was not following God. That's significant. We'll get to that in a moment. Verse 3, but I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, and Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Here, here's the point of all of this. As we lay out this fact that Abraham was not serving God at the time that he was called, it's a reminder for you and I that as we talk about living in this new covenant of our relationship with Christ and what he has done, here's what you need to understand. Salvation comes from the Lord. It is from him. This is why what Joshua says in this is so significant. He says, Abraham didn't even know me. Abraham was, was following other gods, and yet I took him for myself. I hear so many times that people are on, on the brink of trusting in Jesus. And they come to this spot of saying, man, I remember everything I've done. I remember the life I've lived. I remember the sins that I've committed. Let me take care of that first. Let me clean things up in my own heart. Let me clean things up in my own life. And then I'll be ready. What Joshua has laid out is <laughs> salvation is, is first and foremost an act from the Lord. It is him acting. And so for us, living in this new covenant, on the other side of the cross, here, here's what I want you to understand. This is the principle that Joshua lays out. The only thing that you and I bring to the equation as far as salvation goes is our need for salvation. It's the only thing you brought. You haven't brought good works. You haven't brought enough moral standing. You've brought nothing. I've brought nothing. 
Joshua is reminding, listen, this, this whole storyline of Israel did not start with somebody finally figuring it out. The story of Israel started with God acting, God moving, God initiating it. This is where you and I fall as well. If you've been saved by Christ, this is because Christ has moved. If you've got a relationship with the Father, it's because he has acted. What you and I bring to the equation is simply our need for salvation. So God reminds the people of Israel through Joshua, listen, I've taken your father Abraham, and he didn't even know me at the time. He had no knowledge of who I was. In fact, he was worshiping all of these other false gods. No one is saved apart from God acting first. Joshua continues in verse 5. And what he's going to do here is he's going to give a glimpse into the history of Israel to really solidify this idea of God acting for them. So he says in verse 5, Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. And when I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help. And he put a darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Again, you're going to see snapshots of Israel's history and a reminder. It is God who has acted. The reason Israel as a people even exists is because God has continually intervened. And so he starts with the Exodus. He says, listen, the reason you're a people at all, the reason you're not still slaves in Egypt is because I've acted. I parted the Red Sea. I allowed you to walk through. I covered it up when the Egyptians came through. I set you free. Continues in verse 8. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. And they fought against you. But I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you. And you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Baor, to put a curse on you. But I wouldn't listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Again, now he's, he's moving to this idea of uh, you've had enemies throughout your history. And yet the reason why you've been victorious is because I've been victorious. The reason why you haven't been destroyed as a people is because I have been with you. And he reminds him of a story in Numbers chapter 22. When the king of Moab is, is set out to destroy Israel, and he goes and he sends uh, this uh, non Israelite prophet, not a prophet of God, but just a, a prophet who conjures up divination or, or spells in a sense. The man's name was Balaam. And the Moabite king sends Balaam to go curse the people of Israel, and yet every single time he's unable to. You probably remember Balaam uh, more so less for him and more for his donkey. Right? Balaam's donkey is the one who sees the angel in the road, sees the angel blocking and, and speaks to Balaam. God has intervened. God has acted. And so again, Joshua is saying, you would cease to be a people if it wasn't for me. If it wasn't for me intervening. And then he continues, then you cross the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the citizens of Jericho, they fought against you. 
as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, but I gave them into your hands. <laughs> Again, the point is, guys, don't you see? The reason you live, the reason you exist, the reason you're my people is because I have acted. Look at how your enemies had surrounded you. By, by earthly standards, you should cease to be a people. But I've acted. I've intervened. I've protected. I've given you victory. It is because of me. In verse 12, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You didn't do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them. You eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Not only has God protected them, he's reminding them, listen, I've sustained you through this. Think about wandering in the wilderness. I gave you manna to eat. I've been the one that has directed your steps. Even in your disobedience, I have remained faithful. And so Joshua, God through Joshua is saying, people, take inventory of what God has done. Remember how he has protected us. Remember how he has saved us. Remember how he continues to sustain us. And Joshua says, listen, you're, the place you're living the way you go about your lives, the things that you do, they're a product of God intervening and being gracious to you. So the point of all of this is as Israel hears this, to think about the redemptive story of God continuing to save and sustain and protect. Why, why is this significant? Because over and over again in Israel's history, despite knowing all of this, they continued to chase other gods. They continued to, to serve and, and worship themselves. They continued to serve and worship gods from foreign adversaries. They just can't seem to be faithful to the one true God. And so Joshua, on his deathbed, the last message he's going to give Israel says, remember what he's done. Church, remember what he's done. The, the reason you can sit here and hear the word of God, hear the gospel message that is your salvation proclaimed, is because of him. It is his graciousness. You haven't done anything to deserve this. I haven't done anything to deserve this. It is because of him. But the worship of ourselves the worship of, of cultural deities often slips in when we forget this. When I forget who he is, when I forget what he's done, when I forget how he saved me, then I start to serve and worship other things. Because as I forget that, my life is less built around honoring the one who has saved me and more about satisfying every longing of my heart. Every desire of my flesh. When I forget, God is the one who acted. God is the one who has saved me. God is the one sustaining me. I start to put my own wants and desires at the forefront of my mind. And we build lives seeking this. Same God's different day. 
And so Joshua stands before all of Israel and says, think, to, think back to what he's done. Remember how he saved you from the most hopeless situations. We couldn't have saved ourselves from Egypt. We couldn't have saved ourselves from all of our enemies surrounding us. We certainly couldn't do anything to deserve being his people. God has acted. This, this is your story. If you're a believer in Christ, this is the story of you. God has been gracious to me. As I've continually sinned against him, as I've continually pushed aside his free gift of salvation that he willingly went to on the cross, I, I can look back and see that my testimony begins and ends with him. As we are a people who are called to, to share our testimony, make sure that is the subject. Make sure that is the focus. We often like to tell about who we used to be, and we, we magnify our sin. And the point of our testimony is not to, to glorify the sin, but glorify the one who saved us from it. So, so I don't need to hear how, how evil and nasty you were. I already know it, because I know me. Like we, can, we, can, we can agree that there is nothing good in us apart from Christ. So I don't, I don't need to hear this glorification of your sin or my sin. What I need to know is that God has saved me from it. That is the focus of your testimony, church. God has taken me from death to life because of him. He has acted. This next couple verses is probably the most famous of all of, of Joshua chapter 24. And it's best seen in its context. Remember what God has done in the history of Israel that Joshua has laid out in the first 13 verses. This is who he is. This is what he's done. This is how he saved us. Now, as we get to verse 14, there's a choice that needs to be made. That as we renew this covenant with the Lord, here's what needs to be decided by all of us. Joshua says, now fear the Lord and serve with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you're going to serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. A decision has to be made. And this is what Joshua has laid out. you got to choose. Knowing all that God has done for Israel. <laughs> knowing how little the false gods that you've worshipped before have done for you in the way of salvation and sustaining you and protecting you. Like knowing, knowing those two things, you need to decide now who you're going to worship. So he says, fear the Lord. Stand in awe of what he's done. See him for, for his goodness and his glory and his majesty. See him for who he really is. Fear the Lord. See him as above all. 
when we fail to do that, it is easy for us to start to worship anything but him. When I fail to see him for who he is and his righteousness and his holiness and how far he is above me, and I, I attempt to bring him down to my level, at least in my mind, man, it's really easy to start to worship myself. It's really easy to start to worship other gods. And so it's why Joshua says, remember who he is. Remember his glory. Remember his power. And to be faithful to him. Don't waver. Serve him with all faithfulness. And in fact, he goes this far. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. You know those aren't the true gods. Like if, you, if you claim that, that God is the one true God, then serve him like it. Be faithful like he is. And don't chase these other gods who will not and cannot save you. And he says, but if, if all of that, knowing what God has done, if all of that seems undesirable to you, if you'd rather not follow the God who has saved you and sustained you and protect you and made you as people, if you'd rather not, then quit wavering. Go, go full in and worship the false gods of the Amorites. Go worship the false gods of Israel. And I love what Joshua does. Don't miss this. He is mocking these gods. Because he says, go, go worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. In other words, what he means by that is those gods who were unable to save the land of the Amorites. If you want to serve them, go. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the one true God. There comes a time in everyone's life when they've got to choose who they're going to worship. So what about you? There's a moment in everyone's life where they have to choose who they'll worship. And what Joshua's saying is, listen, we, we can't be one foot in in, in, in our relationship with Father and, and one foot serving these other gods or one foot gratifying our flesh. Serve him with all faithfulness. So Joshua is saying to, to Israel and, and now by extension to us, you're either going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly or, or you might as well not serve him at all. Like choose. Choose who you're going to serve. And eternity hangs in the balance. See him for who he really is. His majesty, his glory, his power. Remember what he's done for you. And remembering that, be faithful to him. Be faithful to him. Serve him alone. Why? Because Joshua has already laid out, listen to how faithful he's been to us. So choose for yourself. But if you don't want to do that, don't waver any longer. Go after the false gods. Gratify yourself. Serve whatever cultural gods find their way into the mainstream society. Go, go, go serve those. And, and listen, here's, here's the harsh truth of this. 
that as Joshua lays out both for Israel and now for us, go serve any of those false gods and die with them. Because there is one God who saves. So what about you? Parents that, that brought your, your babies up to dedicate them for the Lord, man, it's easy to say, yeah, we will. What else are you going to say standing here? It's a whole other thing when you enter into the battle and recognize that we, we've got to choose daily. That there is a war that is, is not just waging for your soul, but there's a war that is waging for that precious baby soul. So what about you and your house? Don't waver any longer. The cutting floor of the gospel tells us that, that you're, you're either saved by grace or you're dead in your sin. There, there is no... There's no alternative. There's no halfway point. That's what Joshua is calling Israel to do. He's saying, repent of your sins and commit to the Lord. How do we do that now? We are living in a culture that has made a mockery of truth. We're living in a culture that has, has quite honestly cheapened truth to just whatever you feel like in the moment. Left to my own devices, my truth is nothing but a lie. Left to my own devices apart from Christ, my truth leads not to life but to death. This is the truth for all of us. So the same choice is on the table. Choose, choose today who you're going to serve. Okay, are you going to serve the cultural gods of our day and, and reject truth and not walk in obedience to God? Or are you going to recognize He is the one who has saved me? He's the one who has sustained me. And therefore, my response is to obey. My response is, Lord, what, what you say is truth, regardless of how it feels in me, regardless of how it looks to the culture, regardless of what everyone around me is saying, I'm going to trust you. This is the decision that has to be made, church. There, there is no getting around this. Choose for yourself this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Father, may that be said of all of us this morning. Life is held in your hands. Lord, from, from the womb to the grave, you are in control of it all. Father, we rejoice because our journey doesn't end there. You are an eternal God. Life now but in eternity is in your hands because of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we leave this place and we are bombarded with a culture that says that, that truth is, is everywhere and yet nowhere at the same time. May we have the resolve and the courage and driven by your Holy Spirit 
to say unequivocally, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to live by the truth. Whatever it costs. Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're the name above every other name. There is no God but you. Father, would we as a people renew that covenant that we've made through your blood that was shed on the cross through your Son and turn back to you. How gracious are you that you allow us to repent and return to you. Father, may we do that this morning. Lord, it is in your holy and precious name that we pray these things.